Everything that I make or everything that I've created is a reflection of someone's influence on me. That's Bianca. She introduced me to computer games, AOL chat rooms, showed me how to straighten my hair and how to dance to R&B while watching BET's Midnight Love. She has a trumpetist laugh, an impressive set of skills, and her craft room is always a disaster, which speaks to her boundless energy for creating new things. She joined us to talk about dance and appreciating projects long after they're done. I'm Amber, and here's Angelica with our weekly chat. Hi, Bianca. <laughs> wow. Hi, Angelica. All right, take three. No way. No, no, it's okay. All right. That's all right. Thank you for coming on to Chatty Crafties. Yeah, no problem. Um, we were trying to figure out when we first met, and it was through Amber, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was for her bachelorette party. You taught us all the single ladies choreography. Yeah. Um, I was just looking at pictures recently. I was t- 20 weeks pregnant in a purple um, leotard that was my mother's. I um, remember. It was, I like wasn't pregnant enough to really show. I was just like slightly pointy. Um, a lot of people were still very concerned for you though. <laughs> they were, yeah. I was very vocal about being pregnant and doing this dance because it is not an easy dance yeah well you were doing a really good job but i think i i've now <laughs> seen a lot more people pregnant and having you know and having babies and realizing that i don't know hearing more about how unsafe yes. things can be yeah there was it was just i was being a baby myself like squatting that yeah. sounds hard um some deep dips. they were <sighs> goodness what is your background in dance so i started dancing when i was four years old um in one way or another, I'd always been in dance class, and um, I was with uh, a particular school called Connolly Dance Arts, and they had a company, and uh, you could audition, you get into the company, so you take classes, but you also go to a thing called Dance Masters of America, and every year we would prepare for that um, with costumes we would have a number that was meant to you get scored eventually that was supposed to lead up to me auditioning to go to hspva which was the local magnet arts school in houston in houston and did you like doing dance yes i really i really really liked doing dance i wasn't even necessarily um considered very talented even (laughs) just you know but i did enough i could get through class and i really just enjoyed it I actually didn't want to do it and I I had no intention of becoming a professional dancer I just really liked doing it while I could and being allowed to do it instead of taking PE or an elective in high school was awesome so you spent a lot of time doing that um you know somewhat professionally I would say that you know if you're not planning on doing something professional with it you are still going through the rigorous training and classes um did you still like it even though it was that rigorous like you liked the yeah intensity of it yeah um and then when you went to college it wasn't for dance uh no but I did it all the time on the side I think it was always used to relieve stress maybe or it's just something familiar because I'd done it for so long I didn't know how to not do it Mm -hmm. you know 
I could go to class, but I, I really wanted to always kind of come back to it. And I even studied abroad. And while I was there, I took ballet classes just for continuity huh. or something to anchor me. Yep. Because I was so far away from home. Yeah. So I just kind of needed something that I already knew. And also because um, I was so unfamiliar with the language that if there's one thing that's consistent, it's dance terminology. Even if it's in Japanese, you know what people are saying. Words like stretch, all of the step words are still in French. Oh, sure. So, you know, no, even if I didn't necessarily always understand uh, the dance teacher's uh, feedback or instructions, I always knew what she was asking of us in class. Is it the choreography that you like, memorizing choreography? Um, I think it's sort of the union. It's like a physical mental union where you're, you're expressing yourself and also your memory. You know, someone's asking you to do something with your body and you have to remember the steps. You have to think about a feeling you're conveying. So there's like an emotional side to it. And it's very physically exerting. So there's there's just a very unique agony of body and spirit, I guess, that happens. It's just something that happens to you when you're physically doing something and you're thinking a lot about it. When I visited New York, I went to kind of a, a brain exhibit because everyone thinks that you only use 10% of your brain, which is not true. They showed a dancer and kind of a cross-section of her brain, and a lot of things are at work. The cerebellum, your cortex, because you're using your memory you're listening to music, you're also thinking and conveying, you're doing a lot of things at the same time. So several parts of your brain are lighting up. So I think there's actually kind of a, a high associated with it. Huh. It makes what, you feel good. What goes through your brain when you dance? Do you picture the next step? Is it the, the no, music that actually. triggers the next move? No, actually practice ingrains the steps in you. And the idea is to practice so much that you don't actually think about steps while you're doing them. At that point, it's about conveying feeling. You are using someone else's choreography, so you're using someone else's kind of words or poetry, but it's when you put yourself into it, it changes a little bit because everybody's body is different. You can only do choreography a certain way with your body type. How do you feel after a performance? Recharged? Depleted? Depends? Actually pretty excited and invigorated. I worry about mistakes before, but not often after. I'll note mistakes, but um, I usually just feel good having gotten through the performance. Because, yeah. um, you know, even two minutes of movement, it's pretty taxing. Mm -hmm. I don't know how people do it and sing at the same time. It's a lot. And, and it's working with your props and costumes, too. I think mm -hmm. those are fun challenges, um, learning how to make things graceful in spite of the things you're holding or the heaviness of a costume can be really interesting too i never got to explore this but i had a roommate and she did puppets for uh, sesame street on the road really yeah and they hired dancers not puppeteers to do that stuff and her job was to create um, well-fitting uh, puppets and deal with kind of their physical issues but all of these dancers a lot of their challenges came through making these puppets move a certain way but really having to interact with some pretty heavy props that's really interesting to think about how the costumes might affect the choreography um do you choreograph dances not really actually i like to think about doing that a lot but i've never had a group of people together where i was like i really want to see you all move in this way but i often think about it especially when i hear songs i like or a piece of music that's really good or i'm at a show but mostly all i've ever taught is perhaps uh, simplified versions of choreography like at the bachelorette party yeah well that actually you guys learned in earnest you guys learned the real steps oh. so that was 
only and that like was a quarter yeah. of it before we <laughs> well, that out. Was, yeah that was the challenge though is watching the video because i didn't know the choreography either so for me the the process was watching it and being able to translate in my head what that means for me to move and then what yep. it means to show other people how to do it and you know and recently i did a wedding and taught thriller and the guy had requested it and he was not a dancer he's very nerdy guy <laughs> and he was really stepping out of his comfort zone so he can't do michael jackson steps That's so i had to come up with yeah so i then that instance i had to come up with choreography that looked very michael like essence of michael jackson but easy enough for him and his brother did you yeah. know and all of his family members his mom did it that and is his, so yeah. sweet and they looked really good and to me like that was a big payoff. Uh, get I had to do the dance with them at the time because everyone everyone learned it so well, but they were still so scared that they wouldn't remember. Yep. So I did the dance with them. So I still have yet to see the video, but I feel like I'd feel really like satisfied to yeah. see those moves because it, I, I actually spent a lot of time and, and did a lot of uh, recording of myself. I had my husband sit there and record me at the Apple Gym just doing all these different steps and then I would meet up with the husband the husband to be and he would go over the steps and tell me what was too hard or what was oh, making uh -huh. him out of breath and then we had to kind of figure out things that were more comfortable he told me he was going to wear kind of a, a Michael Jackson outfit and it was going to restrict him in some ways and <laughs> it was uh it was really fun solving those problems I think yeah. like I think now um for me dance is, is fun to like make it accessible to people who are not professional dancers yeah. but really really want to celebrate because you know it's the celebrating part of dance i think that i like i like at weddings i like the part where everyone dances they're I, all swept yeah. up in the feeling yeah i like um what are they called the mobs dance the flash mobs. flash mobs i mm -hmm. like flash mobs I, you know, I, I really like it when people get together and try and learn to dance together. And I like, you know, those classes, a lot of people were goofing around and they, they didn't know what they were doing, but a lot of them had so much fun just getting together and yeah. learning a dance together that they felt so much pride just doing all these steps together and, yeah. and looking so silly together. I just like, I love that. I yeah. think I like that maybe a little more now because I think back when it was more like a competitive thing you tend to compare yourself a lot to other people and you tend to compete with a lot of people for some really strange things. There's a lot of body comparisons. Ooh. There's a lot of, no, um, thank you. Yeah. A lot of nutrition talk, I guess a pretty realistic idea, but sometimes unhealthy ideas about how to get your body ready for dance competition season. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really like it. And then I even tried to go the other way and, like, take kickboxing classes. And I wanted to look like a more buff dancer because uh -huh. there were these modern dancers that were coming out. And they were strong and more masculine looking and not um, Balanchine and feminine. And then um, at HSPVA, they used to grade you on your weight. <gasps> and I gained weight because I gained muscle. And so I got an 80. And it was still a B. <gasps> but, it, but yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Every time somebody hears about it, it's, it's pretty. Do you think they still do that? I wonder sometimes, actually. I don't know anyone that's gone there for dance. Uh, so I, I would have to ask somebody now. I can't imagine they still do that. But there were some pretty old-fashioned ideas from the 70s still kind of lurking sure. in their teachings because a lot of those teachers came from that era of, like, avant-garde, modern dance was kind of all the rage when they were young. 
but a lot of people were still leaning back on conservative ballet ideas. You want to be a thin Balanchine ballerina. You have to weigh very little so that your partner can lift you in the, the pas de deux. You, you need to just be very thin. And, and also, you know, um, more. I'm seeing more and more articles, and I very much agree with them, that there's also kind of a racial deal mm-hmm. to it where it's, mm-hmm. very, it's very wafy, it's very waspy, and it's starting to change because other people have different body types and, yeah. and uh, trying to achieve this ideal of a thin ballerina you know it's not ideal or or even you know even the russian ballet has stronger more muscular ballet dancers and it's very much changing so rapidly i can, i hope they don't still grade on the weight that's oh, very God. frustrating i found it frustrating and some people weighed less just because they had eating disorders yeah right that would just inspire something so unhealthy just to get a higher grade oh I yeah and the it. teachers i think there in their heads they thought they were making us more competitive or getting us to think about a thing that we're going to face in the real world of dance which is somewhat true they there is right it's not just pressure. coming out yeah. of high school it's coming out of the world of dance yeah because uh, you know there because it's a magnet school there there it's actually more like vocational school for the arts and they want you to be ready for actually taking jobs not going to college for dance but to go and just audition oh, for a job okay right out of high school because uh, your career is usually, I mean, right, once again, that's changing. Once, that's changing, too, because, like, we have Lauren Anderson in Houston dancing until she was 40. But usually your career was over at 28. You also play piano, you yes. said. Do you play just for fun? Do you? I just play for fun now. I just, if I hear music, I really like, I still like a lot of piano pieces. So I'll tend to want to learn something if there's something you know, uh, my sister is actually a piano teacher and a pianist and a music director. So sometimes she'll she'll send me a piece that she thinks is within. You know, once again, I'm mediocre at best. I can I can play pieces like nothing exceptional. I'm not playing uh, Chopin super easily, and I don't practice enough for it, frankly. But I I do like reading music and playing it, and I like to hear the way I want to play it. Yeah, it's kind of a control thing too. I find it interesting that um, you are still inspired to dance and be creative and play because there is that um, that voice of people who are perfect at it that kind of hover around us. And you've got to, like, compare yourself to that person for some reason that... Um, well, I might not be Picasso, but I like to paint. Or, you know, I, I might not... Um, be that great of a singer but I, I like it like you've got to make that qualification mm-hmm. um and I think that it's got to be coming from somewhere and it's either coming from school mm-hmm. or it's coming from other people's wounding where they feel like they've got to say like you know don't don't judge me I've already judged myself on this I think it comes from a lot of people thinking that because you do something you want to make it into a job mm-hmm and if you want to make it into a job, then there is a very, you know, especially for dancing, if you're female, there's stiff competition. And there's a lot of things people feel the need to warn you about. Yeah. Um, and that tends, if you're younger and more vulnerable and you really, really love it, it can wound you. It can wound you pretty easily because then you think the only reason you should be doing it is because it you want to be at the top of your uh, the top of your craft or something like that. 
instead of just doing it because you enjoy it. Yeah, and you don't know, you haven't gone to college yet, so you, you don't see those things yet. You don't realize you can have a job and you can do what you love in the evenings. You yeah. can have a job to support doing what you love. Not everybody, and to realize that everybody that's famous or has made um, a career out of being an artist either had to, either their success, you know, their overnight success actually took 10 years. Sure. Which is very often the case. Or, you know, they were very talented, of course. But also there's there's a lot of things you just don't um, know. You don't know that they're the exception and not the rule, I right. guess. Or like you caught them at one moment in time where they were just recognized for that talent um but years and years of working at it you know just the logistics yeah it's easy to think of everybody as somebody discovered them and um you know and then everything fell into place it it very you know very much isn't that sometimes there's a very pushy stage mom behind that person that did a lot of things behind the scenes to set the stage for them or money sometimes it's Uh a shortage of money that holds people back if you don't have a you know even artists that we learn about in history they've all had a patron of some kind it's really hard to just fund your way through it because the time you spend at your job is time you don't spend honing your art and art just doesn't pay that well it doesn't so if the reward is not you know your emotional fulfillment then you know i just think that's how people get to this you have to make it a career and if you're just not that good, why waste your time kind of attitude? Mm-hmm. Or if you're just not that thin or if you're just not what they're looking for, you know, then you should move on to something else, basically. Um, well, I like that you had the wherewithal from an early age to know this is just something I want to do and get better at and spend my time doing. Yeah. And getting boring jobs after college helps a lot with that because the first thing you start thinking is, oh, wow, that was pretty boring what am I going to do in the evening and and you can go hang hanging out with friends it's fun there's a lot of fun things you can do but sometimes you're a little bit broke yep and there's nothing that works with being broke better than being an artist because it's all about finding what's lying around and making something look a lot you know making something beautiful or just something that doesn't look like the trash it was before yeah or making something from nothing do you set aside time to be creative I try to, and I get very frustrated when I don't get it. And it actually makes me a little bit of an antisocial person. I feel like sometimes, like my husband's very social, and he likes to go out and and hang out and do all kinds of things. And sometimes I almost get a little temper tantrum because I'll say something like, well, I've been working all week, and I knew that this night would be free, but it's not a night that I want to fill with, you know, going to see a movie and it better be a movie I really want to see. If it's just some movie because everybody wants to go out and do something together, I get real frustrated because that's time I could be spending. You know, right now I'm making a swimsuit. I need... Cool. Yeah, and when it's finished, it's finished, and it's going to be great, and I'm going to love swimming in it. Yeah, but you'll I feel ne- so proud yeah. of it, the sense of accomplishment. Yeah, but I need to not go out for a day or two, a night or two, and I need to not have to work the next day so that I can go into the night with it and, and do it for as long as it takes to finish it. I know it will get finished, and I really like what it's going to look like. I can see it. Yeah. But I have to care, and I can't... It's not something I can do five minutes here, five minutes there. So I do make time and I try to, I need to be better about putting it on my calendar and saying, treating it like it is a party I'm going to. But usually what I'm trying to do is just, oh, there's some free time. And also you have to be awake. I feel like there are so many moments, collections of minutes that I just 
kill looking at my phone or, you know, like looking on the big version of my computer where I just, you know, I could be reading a book, I could be sewing, I could be doing any number of things and I have to force myself to put it down. Yeah, I wish I read more books. I actually, I never, I haven't finished a book I think in five or six years to, to completion. I'll, I'll start a book and I'll read it here and there and I'll lose track. And it's just a bunch of things happen. Sometimes it's phone stuff. It's not that I don't read. I read articles on my phone. Sure. But reading a full book, I think the last one I can remember is like a Murakami Haruki book called 1Q84, which is a very big book about turning 30, I guess. It, it was it was very it was not metaphorical, but it was very random and weird, but after at the end of it I finished reading it and I was like, "Oh, it's a book about turning 30, I guess." <laughs> Maybe. It was it was good, but I had to fight my way to the end of it, and that was the last book that I finished and read the last page, mm-hmm. and I actually most books I'll be like, "That was a good book." I mean, it started pretty good. I seem to remember it midway through, but what happened? Oh, I got busy. Uh-huh distracted by I got distracted by something I have to set no I set alarms actually when I feel like I need to start a project soon um I just I'll get on my phone and I'll set a 30 minute alarm and it'll just say do you still want to be reading whatever it is you're reading like just a little reminder did you get distracted yeah Oh, I love that. Do you like sharing what you do and what you make? There's your your emotional fulfillment. But sometimes when it comes, you know, to kind of like circle it back to things like dance and piano, sometimes it's the performing. You like the performing and then you also really like it when people like you performing. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Like, And it doesn't always happen that way. You have to love it, too, because not everyone's going to like it. Everyone's a critic that doesn't have to put in the work. I like sharing what I make don't always like performing I think that's what also kept me from wanting to be like a professional dancer because I like movement and I like I think I like physical activity I don't think I actually like presenting Mm -hmm. I like making costumes I think it would be cool I've never done it before I almost worked for a a burlesque show but I think it would be fun to do costumes for dancers even um I definitely like helping to make a show but the the performance part is hard, but making stuff and giving it to people, I do like that. I end up making things that I wouldn't normally make. I mean, like, like as gifts. Yeah. Well, I've made my mother's nightgowns for years uh-huh. and they've changed over the years. They used to be pretty crappy. I don't know. They, <laughs> they looked pretty dowdy, but she really likes them a certain way. And once I got really good at it and she just constantly gave me feedback, now there's just this way I make them and they look the same still, but it's exactly the way she wants them. So anything I do that's creative, there's been two phases, right? There's the cook phase and the chef phase. You are sometimes a cook because you're busy learning how to do it. And that means looking at other people who already do it and seeing kind of what they do, how they did it, and any logistic information you need on how to produce something like a nightgown. Um, That was part, I didn't always know how to sew. I took one lesson from someone I was dating. His mother knew how to sew quilts. She just showed me how to sew. She actually hadn't made clothes in a long time. She's just a quilter. But there were skills there that were transferred very easily, and I had always wanted to make something for myself. So it was kind of a project to challenge myself. But really, I was learning from a pattern that someone else made. They had instructions on it that told you how to achieve 
a certain um, look or how to get the thing put together, basically IKEA instructions on right. how to cut and make a nightgown. But then after that, once you learn the rules, then you enter your chef phase where you start to adjust things because you already know how to do things like what makes a nightgown, you know the essence. Then after that, it's what kind of nightgown do I want to start making now that I know how it should go together? What does my mom want? What does she complain about when she wore the old ones? Are they itchy? Do they need to be made with different fabric? Does she hate the neckline? How do I make essentially the same nightgown but a different neckline? You know, just things like that start to change. And then you, the chef phase always takes a lot more time because <laughs> you're mm. experimenting a lot more and there's a lot more failure to it. And, you know, the one good idea that you get praised for once again, everyone thinks, oh, you're a natural, but really that's the 10 years <laughs> that's before, you know, or, you know, and that can go in so many different directions. Some people who are, I think some people who are computer programmers are really creative, but nobody really knows until they put a button on all this back end work they did that took years yep. sometimes. Is there uh, an overlap? You're talking about um, sewing. Is there an overlap for choreography as well, where you're basically, you're following steps, you're following a pattern and creating an outcome that has different iterations. There is very much. Uh, dance class, that's what it's all about. You're just learning a, a tried and true method of moving your body that's been accepted as a type of dance. What is ballet really? It's, it's knowing what a plie is. And it's forming, it's actually, it's linguistic too. You form all this terminology so that way someone can save time on telling you what to do. Instead of telling you, oh, you're going to step on one foot and you're going to bend the other leg and you're going to step on the toe of the other foot and then you're going to swing yourself around and turn, you know. They just say, you're going to do a pirouette now. The next step is a pirouette in this. And so you know what you're going to do next. So you're building your terminology. You're learning these actually pretty complex movements on their own. And then... You also learn how to string those together. It feels fun to do. It makes you confident in other places, parts of your life. Sure. Your sexuality is very different if you're, I feel, if you're a dancer. There's things you can do with your body that make you very confident when you're physically with someone else, I think. I sure. Think it really accentuates that. You're also very sensitive to music. There's, like, even now, I know that sometimes I like a movie that's not particularly good. It's usually the soundtrack that gets me and mostly visual, like, uh, expressions. What are you afraid of trying? Um, like what intimidates you? Are there other mediums you would like to try? I always thought, I always thought like acting was really cool, <laughs> but it doesn't work out. I don't think it works <laughs> for me. I, I don't understand. I think I have a hard time with it actually. And I, and I see when other people have a hard time too, and I know what's missing, but it's, I think it's really I think it's really challenging to act. I think it's challenging to hold a character. And I think it's really challenging to be something other than yourself. Uh, I think it's, I think you can do it sometimes and, but I think it's hard to hold that character and not slip into who you are. And I'm sure some people would say, well, you know, every character will be somewhat infused with who you are. That's how you make it real. Cause it comes from a real place, but I still think it's hard to hold an accent that's not yours mm -hmm. or talking a voice that you don't have so and I know it takes research that once again there's that back end work you can do research you can hang out with somebody who really is the person you intend to be but I still think it's really hard just the physical doing of it the being on stage and having people watch you and not 
um, reacting to people watching you, but reacting to other people on stage. I think it's really difficult, actually. Do you like teaching? I, not always. Do you like collaborating? I think I like collaborating, yeah. If the, if the vision is cohesive, I guess. <laughs> I, I have a hard time collaborating if uh, so, sometimes some people are too different. And if I haven't figured that out, figured that out before I started collaborating, that can be pretty frustrating. Um, I, that's for teaching. And it, yeah. it could be two different things. It might not necessarily be teaching a class with a group of people. It might just be one-on-one, like showing someone how to sew something or showing informally a group of people how to do a little dance. I like to do it, but I do get, I do always, I think perhaps I have imposter syndrome Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I'm it's not. Familiar yeah, to me. yeah. I'm, I bet I, I feel like a lot of artists feel this way. Like if I'm teaching something, I'm worried that there's enough experience among the whoever I'm teaching that I actually don't know that much, or they're gonna figure out that I'm a fraud and I'm just amateur at best, and I actually have nothing real to teach them, and it's uh, that makes me very nervous sometimes. I like to show people how to do things if they're super enthusiastic to know. But I'm very much, um, I think I come from teachers and I know I'm not a great teacher because I'm very, I'll show you how to do the thing and then I'm going to sit there and wait for you to do it. And I, I don't really uh, like to coddle too much or do it for them or hold their hands for them and do it. I like to sit and wait for questions. And for some people, that's very frustrating. It's not always, <laughs> the teaching is not always rewarding. And then some people really, really respond well to that style. They don't want to be shown. They just want someone to be there in case something goes wrong. And then they can say, oh, what happened? And I'll say, okay, well, this happened. And because I think it's really important. I think it's important to mess up. I think it's important to think really hard about something and screw it up anyway. Yeah. Because then the next thing you get to learn is how to undo it, how to fix it, or you're you know find a creative way to make it right so that you're okay with it and that way you don't fear failing as much yeah and I appreciate how you can take a step back and look at your own process of teaching as well because you know there's something so vulnerable about saying I do something this way it might not be the way that other people can relate to it but this is the way that it comes out of me yeah and I try to also, I try to take as much of me out of it sometimes too, just like you said, you know, it is how I do it, but what we're here to learn is the, ske- you know, we're learning the skeleton. This is the skeletal way and you're yeah. not going to do it this way later, but you don't know what you want yet. Yeah. You don't, and you also don't know how much effort you're willing to put in and you don't really know what you like yet. You have to forget all those things first and start. And And I like starting, I think. A lot of those things are about starting over. Those things are very fun to do in the beginning, but not everybody likes to be in the beginner phase all the time. They're impatient. Yeah. I think crafting is always a beginner phase, especially if you do a bunch of different crafts and you tend to dabble in other things. Mm -hmm. You move to other things. You tend to build other things. Like instead of, you know, because costumes are one thing if you're sewing clothes. And then there's props. Props are a whole other thing. There's lighting arrangements, you know, there's a whole lot of things to putting on a dance show or anything else. A lot of tech stuff, which are all still creative processes. You're still trying to make things look a certain way, but you still have to learn electronics. Yeah. (laughs) And be really good with software. Yeah. 
It's a, another serious endeavor. Each one is a, a craft unto itself. Yeah, and different tools every time that you have to learn. Like yeah. sewing machines are hard for people to understand sometimes. Yeah, it's really easy to jam them up. Yeah, and surgers. Threading <laughs> it correctly. And if, if your needle isn't sharp enough and you don't know that you need to swap it out for some or if reason, it's the right type. Yeah. Like, uh, and also, I, I took a whole class on how to thread my serger because I couldn't figure it wasn't intuitive at all. So yeah, and I, a YouTube yeah. video won't cut it. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. I took some sewing classes too on really basic things. I, I think we made a, a bag. And they basically taught us, if you have a sewing machine, you know, bring it. And they, they taught us how to thread it. And it turns out I was doing something weird with my thread every time and, like, wasn't going in the right order. Mm -hmm. And I just had no idea what the problem was until I did that. And then it was so much easier. And just going through those simple steps of, okay, put the wrong sides together, run a straight line. Okay, now flip it inside out. Yeah. Like, oh, that's so much easier than I was making it out to be in my head. Yeah. So. And when you tell someone that they really don't know why, why you're flipping things inside out. And if you get into a big explanation about the seams and how they're going to line up, um, either people's eyes glaze over or they still don't understand what's going to happen. What's important is to be like, all right, step one. Yeah. Thread this machine correctly. Yeah. <laughs> step two, you're going to sew a straight line. And step three, now let's turn it out inside out and you're going to see what happens. Yeah. You you're kind of have know to it forever. trust the process that that is the right order. Yeah. Um, what else do you do artistically? You paint and, and draw? I want to try and get into painting in a different way. You know, my cat recently got sick and I got silly ideas i guess i was getting ready for him I, I was getting ready for him to die and oh, i had no. been with him a long time and he was having him. a hard time um and now he's okay he, he's relatively okay he gets sick sometimes but at that time i had seen a class um i have taken a painting with a twist class which i enjoyed very much um but what does that mean with a twist oh painting with a twist um my uh, sister-in-law uh showed me this uh you go to a class it's it's a basic art class everyone paints the same picture there is wine you can bring wine okay and they have wine there i believe and um you get drunk and you paint they teach you how to paint that painting and there's a diff every series has a different picture and you'll see the picture that is supposed to be produced yes i have now i know what you're yeah, talking yeah, about okay and like you know and i i really like that one a lot because after i finished making the painting i put a little monster with tall legs in the background of this <laughs> scene that we did and yeah. i really enjoyed that and i even saw someone at a video game convention doing the same thing she was just selling that work she she was doing painting with a twist but then she tw twisted it some more and made oh, some funny, funny derivative works of it and uh, she enjoyed that and another person who takes old antique paintings and um, understands enough about um, the way they're painted that they add weird stuff in there uh -huh. like a monster hanging behind a tree where it doesn't look like it's just tacked on, where it looks like it was in the original style. Yeah, but somebody mm -hmm. had a really weird, eerie idea, you know, I like love that, oh, a hunting scene. But then why is there like a must giant spider back there yeah. or, or zombies or just something really random in there that's incongruous? It's all about... Uh -huh. Because, you know, Whatever that's what draws statement. your eye. Yeah. So, there, so I, I really liked that. So then <laughs> there was this other class and it was... How would you paint a portrait of your cat? And oh. I had seen these paintings 
that this one girl does, um, she has a website and she'll interview you and your cat and she'll paint your cat like, <laughs> um, like an old, uh, an old Royal army soldier or, you know, in, in old colonial style, basically it's beautiful. like, yeah, it's like the, like a, the body of a soldier with all the badges and everything, but, and it's like a gentleman cat with a, a sword and it's historical looking, but it's your cat's head Oh my gosh! and the paws are the hands and it's. It's weird looking, but I kind of, I thought about that and I knew this class would not teach us how to do that, but I started thinking, you know. Why isn't there a class that teaches people how to to immortalize your cat (laughs) in the colonial style? Yeah. I mean, it just seems really, and I have, I have a huge drawer full of fabric scraps from all my old projects and none of them seem to make sense. And I thought maybe if I could find enough of the right colors, maybe I could create strokes out of scraps and just kind of mod podge them onto this um i have a i have a picture that says a stupid trite thing on it and i kind of want to cover it up with a bunch of scraps of fabric and maybe make a picture of my cat but i also kind of i'm torn between doing that and just straight up trying my hand at painting some abomination of him do you ever think about sometimes when i am working on a painting I will have some issue that I'm working through just kind of bubble up to the surface and then I'll take a break from it go do something else for who knows days and weeks and when I come back to it that same issue just bubbles right up and so it's somehow connected to whatever piece I'm working on be it um, a blanket or something that goes on the wall or even if I'm like making something simple for the kids, you know, sewing one of their dresses that has um, gotten a hole in it. I'm like stitching some issue that I need to work through with every stitch, with every brushstroke. Does that ever happen for you? That happens more for dance and piano playing for me, actually. I notice that I play piano the most when I'm having um, like melancholy kind of ennui feelings. Sometimes it's things that I'm just getting through and they're not there's not it's especially in situations that I can't do much about right now things that can't be helped but I'm definitely obsessing and I think well if I'm gonna sit here and obsess I might as well be playing a piano piece or something I really like especially when it's something that makes me sad you know silly but like the think of piece that I learned a while back because it was easy enough was like do you ever remember the movie Little Women with Winona Ryder and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. um star-studded cast Susan Sarandon there was like a really nice piece that plays when Beth dies and um it was really quite lovely but actually really simple and it was on the piano in the soundtrack so I went and got the sheet music and like played that because it made me feel sad and I cry you know I'm trying to think of what was going on at the time probably a relationship problem where I was just like this person is just who they are and I can't change them and I'm not going to change what I'm doing but that means this is really sad and I think I just sat there and I was just kind of crying and playing on my electric piano and I'm really glad nobody has a tape of that or anything but it's just like but it's so beautiful it was you were facing it whatever Mm -hmm. it was you weren't moving away from it tamping it down you were staring at it right in the face and working through it with every keystroke yeah, and learning it, too, because you, you get frustrated whenever you're learning something and you're trying to practice it. Cause like, I guess it's because I'm obsessively thinking about something repeatedly anyway, so 
when I'm practicing, it feels the same. I'm frustrated. I don't really know what to do. Um, I've never seen this piece before. I'm trying to read it. So I'm going really slow and it's very frustrating to go so slow. It's emulating, it's mirroring the feelings that yeah. you're going through. And already. at that time, that that's no crying time because that's when I'm just like more like distracting myself. I am thinking about the problem, but I'm also, it's like you said, channeling or even just making putting the frustration into something I can see and hear. Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's about the manifestation of something. It's easy to think something for a really long time and feel like it was for nothing. But if you can play a piece of music or you have a blanket you've sewn, you actually see the time you've spent thinking about it, the time you've spent kind of obsessing and processing it in the product that you've produced. And that can never be denied, I think. Right. That's a validation of that moment that can easily be forgotten. You know, we get older and we forget a lot of things. We, f- we, we think, why did I do that stupid thing? But you know why you did the stupid thing. Because when you were there, it was totally the right thing to do for what you knew and what you were going through. But you forget. But you remember time as a unit, I think. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking, oh, I went through that breakup and it was so stupid and so fast, you know. But you remember that one night where you spent six hours of time and instead of thinking, oh, how long did I obsess about that guy or, you know, whatever, you're like, well, about as long as it took to make this blanket. Yeah. And then I know I felt real about it because when I made, I made this blanket, it's here now. It exists. Yeah. Because and so does that memory. Time time just passes. Gosh, before mm-hmm. I knew it, like, what are we, like 20 years past high school? Like, it is absurd that it's gone that fast. Um you know, my, my kid just turned eight and I'm just, I try to hold on to those little moments, even though they're imperfect, Mm -hmm. um, to just remember that I've, I've passed through it. I've maybe learned something. Maybe it's just feeling something in that moment. Um, but yeah, the bigger ones that really stick with you, it is nice to commemorate it and Mm -hmm. like put it in a fabric, put it in whatever you're making and, um, just, yeah, like feel it again. Yeah. And if you have imposter syndrome, it helps a lot because it's easy to feel like you're not doing enough or you wasted your time when you kind of have that syndrome. Like, like only that you wasted time because you think, oh, I did nothing these past three hours. And like when you start to feel that way, it's it's good to have some manifestation of what that time really means to you. Yeah, I think that's something that I have done um, in landscape architecture especially when starting a business was kind of just trick myself into like all right well maybe I I don't know how to do it but I need to act like I know how to do it because otherwise I'm going to convince myself I can't do it yeah I'm going to talk myself out of learning and knowing you won't do and sometimes doing has a lot to do with not thinking, I guess, too. Not thinking too much. That's yeah. hard if you're an analytical person. But it but the positive yeah. thinking turns into actual knowledge at some point where, like, you tell yourself to believe in yourself just because there's no other option. You have to fake it till you make it. And then at some point you make it, whatever yeah. <laughs> making it is. But it's hard. Some people just don't believe after they've done it's hard to see it's hard to see in the corporate world you know you have an evaluation and your boss tells you you're doing a good job and then you think well of course they're saying that and you don't know if it's office politics you, mm-hmm. you're impressing the right people 
or if you just looked really confident while you did it so they think you know what you're talking about but deep down inside you know you know it's it's easy to convince yourself yeah but that's why it's fun to make things I guess if you were to give yourself a title for your creative identity what would your title be I think it'd be the artistic analyst Mm, thank you I like that Well, thank you for sitting down with us and thank you to our listeners and we hope you'll stay tuned for more episodes of Chatty Crafties. Between walking dogs and stitching seams, Bianca makes a fine cup of English tea and a delicious bacon curry. She has a long queue of pro bono projects going, so if you're looking for some help, that money better talk. Find her on Facebook, And if you see her wearing really flattering, really comfy-looking pajama pants, feel free to compliment her, because she made those. Our music was finely crafted by Berman Swale. Check him out on Facebook, and spend some time with us at chattycrafties.com. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or just follow your own best advice. This episode was produced by me, Amber Moreno, and hosted by my crafty comrade, Angelica Norton, right here at Open Envelope Studio. Thanks for listening. Now go make some art.